text today comes from the book of Matthew, chapter 12, verses 46 to 50, and it's on page 901 in your blue shed Bible, if you have that. While Jesus was still talking to the crowd, his mother and brothers stood outside wanting to speak to him. Someone told him, your mother and brothers are standing outside wanting to speak to you. He replied to him, is my mother and who are my brothers pointing to his disciples he said here are my mother and my brothers for whoever does the will of my father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother this is the word of the lord he is my Friends, if we haven't had the chance to meet, my name's Tim. I'm one of the pastors here, and it's a, a deep pleasure of mine to say that out loud. We love it here. Uh, there's another place we love, and it's uh, spending some time with our house church, who conveniently now all sit right here. Um, and a couple months ago, <clears throat> we were hanging out at one of their houses, and during a lull in conversation, and, um, I was like, I'm thirsty. I'm going to walk over to the fridge. So I just grabbed something from their fridge. And as I, as I opened the beverage from the fridge, I realized to myself, ah, that felt easy and normal. And I remembered that getting something from the fridge at a friend's house hasn't always been that easy. So rewind with me a little bit to my junior year of high school. There I was, I was at uh, my then girlfriend's house who had just this amazing family, large family who just always said like, you're welcome here, make yourself at home. And, and I kind of believed them. But I also didn't know how to, to do that. I was so nervous all the time. Even as from a young age, I did not want to impose one bit on, as a guest in somebody's house. Like, I would never ask for anything. I ate just a little bit of food. I never wanted to feel like I was an imposition. And I certainly, I barely even went to the bathroom at other people's houses, right? And so here I was, same thing, different day. And then one day it changed. I remember sitting there uh, in the living room, and then one of the other sister's uh, boyfriends, they'd only been dating a little bit of time, 
walks into the room. And with confidence, he strides right over to the fridge and opens it up like he lived there and grabs something to eat. And there I was on the other side of the room, just indignant. What, are you, what do you think you're doing? I was hangry and thirsty and really needed to go to the bathroom. But I couldn't believe how the audacity that you would get food from their fridge. What I began to realize though, it was not for lack of invitation that I did not get food from the fridge. I realized that I could not confidently step into another family that was larger than my own. Not only uh, was I not sure of the genuineness of the invitation to make myself at home, but I didn't even know, I wasn't confident enough in my belovedness to step into that. So I just kind of felt like an insider, but really an outsider. And I wonder if you've ever felt something similar. Maybe even around here, or in spaces like this. Today we get the chance to continue in this conversation, this series called All Things New. And we're talking about Jesus is making a new family. He's expanding the family. We get today to employ our directions, so get ready. We get a chance to move withward, which if you're new around here, is our made-up word for community and journeying together with one another as God forms us as a people. And we also get a chance to move inward a little bit as well, to make withward work, because I think what God wants to do in us and through us is also for the world. A couple different people this week mentioned some variation of the quote that personal renewal precedes corporate renewal. So that's where we want to go today. Just a couple things. And we are going to start uh, the text that Lori read for us. This is Matthew chapter 12. We'll throw this up on the screen. And this is a text that has been puzzling uh, to me and others as I've talked about it this week for like, what's Jesus doing here? Is he disowning his family? Uh, we'll set the scene a little bit. Well, Jesus is talking to the crowd. His mother and brothers stood outside. Okay, they don't feel like they can go inside, whatever that means. And, and someone goes in to tell Jesus, hey, your, your mother and brothers are outside. Uh, and as I was breaking this text down with Delwin earlier this week, he, he was like, I always thought of it as uh, like Mary and the brothers, like they should have gotten season tickets. Like, Jesus, are you holding the holding some back seats for us, for this thing you're doing? Can we get those tickets? Um, maybe that could be what's happening. But there also could be a, a little bit of a rift in the family. You feel the tension when Jesus publicly like, was like, uh, these are my mother and brothers. I'm, I'm, about to, I'm about to drop off a middle schooler next year. And I'm starting to get that look at the drop-off line, be like, thanks for the ride. I don't know you, right? I don't know if that's what's going on. Maybe. But, but something is happening here. And I think at a baseline, Jesus is saying, he's not saying the family doesn't matter, but I think he's expanding it for us. He asks this question like, who are my mother and my brothers? And then in Jesus' fashion, he answers himself, right? Whoever does the will of my Father in heaven are my brother and my sisters, bringing them in, and my mother. Naming, he's not negating the nuclear family, not doing that. But he is saying there is something wider and more expansive and deeper than just our families of origin. For some of us, this is really good news right away. 
It's been a heck of a couple years. <laughs> yeah. And I know for many of us, that has resulted in division and deep rifts in our families of origin. So let it be good news that Jesus is claiming there is something larger. And even if it feels there's no reconciliation this side of eternity, Jesus is still doing something. And he's naming something greater and larger and wider than us. Another thing that's interesting about this text, I think it makes it a little more personal. Where does it take place? Matthew doesn't say. In fact, the whole paragraph is up there on the screen for you. It doesn't say where this happens. If you look back and you find the, the similar account in the book of Mark, Mark has it taking place you can, up to the reader. It can be in a house or a synagogue. But Matthew does not say where it is. And I think I know why. As you read this text, the words for proximity, our minds immediately go to buildings and walls, but I think Matthew means them for people. Well, Jesus was talking to this crowd, right? Somewhere in here. His mother and his brothers were standing outside. Not necessarily outside the building, but outside the crowd. And Matthew, who is inside the crowd, is naming that reality that whoever does the will of my father, this is the family who is in. Not to create an insider-outsider dynamic, but to break it down because what Matthew experienced in his life, we know this of him as an author and a disciple, was to be outside, was to be the one who was rejected by his family of origin, shunned by his tribe and community, for trying to make a living being a tax collector. Matthew, the one who knows what it means to be outside, is identifying that in Jesus, those who are outside now find themselves inside. He needs this text to be true. He needs the proximity of these people to matter. And so Matthew points this out in a way that no other gospel writer does. That he who was outside is now inside. Because what Jesus is doing is creating a new family. He's expanding the table, expanding what it means to be part of something. And this isn't new. This isn't, uh, I mean, it's new because it's all things new and that's what we're talking about. But God has been doing this since the beginning. Since Genesis chapter 1, chapter 2, chapter 5, 12, and 15, Jesus, I mean, the Lord is expanding the notion of family. You are blessed then to be a blessing to the world and the family expands as it is called to change the world in the name of Jesus. We see this all the way through Revelation when every tongue and every tribe and every knee will bow. And in the middle we get these amazing stories not only around Jesus but around Ruth who says to this, to this woman, I will make your family my family and your God my God. And the family is expanding because it's deeper than blood. It's deeper than a last name. But one of my favorite stories somewhere between Moses and Matthew is Mephibosheth. Yeah, right? It's a mouthful. I'm not going to have you repeat after me. Mephibosheth is this character we meet actually just as like a parenthetical side note 
This is in 2 Samuel chapter 4. In your Shed Bible, it's 2 Samuel chapter 4. Follow along on the screen instead because we're going to be flipping a little bit. And this whole, whole text right here is in parentheses in the scriptures. It says this. Jonathan, son of Saul, who had a son who was lame in both feet. He doesn't even name him. Lame in both feet. He was five years old when the news about Saul and Jonathan came from Jezreel that, that they had died. His nurse picked him up and fled, but as she hurried to leave, he fell and became disabled. And his name was Mephibosheth. The setting for this kind of strange, violent footnote is, is David is king and, and there is chaos around the kingdom and Saul, who was former king, and his son Jonathan, who was best friend of King David, are die. they die. They're no longer in the story. And it was Saul's grandson, Jonathan's son, who we see here, named Mephibosheth who, by rights, is fleeing for his life because of the political violence of a change of regimes. And what happens is his nurse he falls, or he falls, and, he, and most likely he breaks his feet, or his limbs are disfigured, and he can't walk. And it's five chapters before we pick up this story again. We do in 2 Samuel chapter 9. David is now king. You can throw the next slide out there. And he, I love how this story opens. Is there anyone still left in the house of Saul to whom I can show kindness for Jonathan's sake? It appears nobody knows the answer because they're like, I, I don't know, man. Like that was, that's like the son of a son of a, that we don't know them anymore. Now there was a servant in Saul's household who was saved. His name was Ziba. They summoned him to appear before David and the king said to him, are you Ziba? He replied, at your service. The king asked, is there no one still alive from the house of Saul to whom I can show God's kindness? I don't know what kind of conversation you have around your dinner table, but that's not the question that we ask every night. But I like it to be. And I wonder if at the dining hall or dinner table tonight, that's a question. Is there, is there someone around us to whom we can show God's kindness? Back to the story. Ziba, the servant, he answers, there is still a son of Jonathan left. He is lame in both feet. Again, he goes unnamed when people introduce this guy. It's like the, the most important thing about him is his disability or his condition or his diagnosis. I think many of us know what that's like. But the, the text does not let that stand. We get that flipped. Where is he? David asked. Ziba answered, he's at the house of Machir, son of Amiel at Lodabar. So the king sends for him and brings him near. Next slide. When Mephibosheth, son of Jonathan, son of Saul, came to David, he bowed down to pay him honor. David said, Mephibosheth! There's not an exclamation point in the Hebrew language, but we get one here. I think it's important. Terrified, I would imagine, Mephibosheth answers, at your service. Wondering, I am sure, is, is this king going to kill me? Violence 
instead of goodness and mercy, has pursued me my whole life. And so here I am again at the mercy of the king. But David says this, do not be afraid, for I will surely show you kindness for the sake of your father, Jonathan. I will restore to you the land, all of the land that belonged to your grandfather, Saul, and you will always eat at my table. Mephibosheth bowed down and said, what is your servant that you should notice a dead dog like me? David says to this disfigured outcast, possible political refugee, he brings him into the palace and he says, not only will you eat at my table forever, but I will restore to you an inheritance that you did not even know you had. And to this man who could not have gotten to this place physically on his own, nor to anybody's table, to him is the invitation to life and provision and protection and an inheritance beyond his wildest dreams. And I would, I would say to you that that is the invitation that is open to us. A seat at the table now and in eternity and the rights to an inheritance that we could not earn but is ours and is beyond our imagination. Because what God is doing in Mephibosheth and in Jesus and in Moses and in Ruth and in you and in I is expanding what it means to sit at the table and to be in the family of God. I saw somebody bless you on your way in that said, all are welcome on their shirt. That's the invitation that we are living and wearing as the people of God who have the inheritance of Mephibosheth that we welcome people and build bigger tables. I don't know how David's other kids felt about this though. Right? I mean, that, that's part of the story. He's welcoming in another son and saying, all the lands of the former king, the inheritance is yours. And I don't know what the other children of David feel when they're like, Who, who's this guy? He's taking my money, taking my inheritance. But it doesn't seem to bother David. It certainly doesn't bother the writer of the text. Because what they're trying to reveal is less about the, the, the microeconomics, but the, the macro love of God's heart and abundance, where the question need not be asked in the face of God's abundant love, is there enough? Because there is. There is always enough food at the table. There's always enough room. Because that's the character of God that we see revealed here. And so there's just two questions and an invitation after looking at these texts that I've got for us today. The question one, do you see others as inherently worthy of coming to the table? Question two, which I think gets at question one, do you see yourself as invited and worthy and welcomed at the king's table. For how can we extend an invitation that we have not yet accepted? 
The family of God is on the move, and we're moving withward along with it. But it's hard to move in that way if we don't do some inward work. And I think there's an invitation there from the Holy Spirit to each of us today. It's tough to welcome others when we don't feel welcomed ourselves. I could not invite the other boyfriend to the fridge because I'd never been to the fridge myself. I was just hungry and had to pee. So we can't relieve all of that today, but I think we can dig into these questions. What does it mean for you to accept and feel and step into the belovedness and the welcome at the king's table? For some of us, it's easy to name what's, what's blocking us from feeling and experiencing that love of God. I, I think for a number of us, myself included, it's often, I, I just feel unremarkable. I don't have anything to post on social media. I didn't, I didn't write a new book. I didn't achieve something awesome this week. I, I, I don't know, I just got here. I, we made it late and disheveled to church on Sunday. So we, so we begin to count ourselves out. Because isn't the table only filled with remarkable people who do things publicly or spectacular? Or is it, isn't the table only filled with those who don't have any shame or haven't done the things that I've done or experienced the things that have happened to me? That's who's at the table, people who are not like, like me. And so we count ourselves out of shame or guilt or suffering. We feel a profound unworthiness to be loved by God. And for some of us, it doesn't seem like there's an imagination to be at the table. One of the things we've been diagnosing in our formation school journey is for so many of us, our, our vision for life and expectation of God's, God's impact on the world is so low that our horizon of possibility is, is just down here. And yet I think the scriptures call us to raise our expectation of what God can do and who God is. An invitation, friends, is to find ourselves welcomed in and beloved so that we can do the same for others. But it's hard to welcome if you have not been welcomed yourself. And so possibly there's a good chance for some of us we have not said yes to Christ's invitation to us to be embraced in our belovedness. That, 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 it, that is something that is at a distance and if that resonates with you, I'd, I'd love to pray with you, as would any of our folks who are praying around the back afterwards. And may, maybe it's a day to step into the inheritance we didn't even know we had as the beloved of God who gets to eat at the king's table forever. And God continues to expand the family because as a family member, we are a participant. It's not, it's not just that we, I want us to feel the invitation that makes us emotionally feel like we're part of something larger than ourselves. 
That's true. But actually, friends, the, the, the call of this text and all the ones like it and the whole of Scripture and the invitation of God to you this morning is to full participation in the life of God, to deeper union and communion with the triune God. Here, I'll throw, throw this picture up on the screen. This is uh, an icon. It's an old painting. Andrei Rublev did this in the 15th century in Russia. It's, it's a beautiful painting called the Trinity. We've probably looked at it before together. But I can't get enough of it. Because what, what is depicted here artistically, and I just invite you to look into it more deeply after the, the gathering, is, is this depiction of Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And they're, they're looking at one another with, with mutuality and deference and grace. And the way this is set up, this picture is set up for the, the viewer to be in the mix, to where these characters could be as easily looking at you and I, as the viewer, as at each other. And it were drawn in. Some would even say that on that little box in the middle, and that, I think in this one it's, it's, uh, there's a little tiny box within the box. Some say that maybe there was meant to be a mirror there, to actually physically see ourselves as part of this trinity. And I think it reflects for us the desire of the scriptures that indeed we are invited to participate in the life of God. And so maybe prayer is less just asking for things, but joining this divine conversation and dance where we're listening, sharing, moving, and breathing in the with God life together at the king's table because that's the inheritance that we are invited into is full participation in the life of God for you and for me and for all who are welcomed. Saying full participation in the life of God is a pretty abstract idea. And so trying to find some places where that comes home for us. And for me, one of the places and ways that participation in the family of God came home is uh, a number of years ago when um, our son came home as our oldest is adopted. And as we're, Allie and I are reading parenting books, we're talking to people, we're like, okay, how do, we, how do we take this young man who's a year and a half years old and, and, and welcome him as part of our family, as a full participating member at the table? And one of the things that we were challenged to is to help create these bonding experiences. It seems second nature now, but it seemed like new to me then. And so even to try and get kind of the skin-to-skin -skin contact you get with a new baby after it's born. And I remember feeling so uncomfortable with the thought of, of, of how do I embrace somebody in that way? And I was like, why do I feel uncomfortable with that? That's like the most beautiful scene in the world. And I had to come to terms that I did not feel as embraced by God in that intimate of way. And I could not bear to do that for someone else because I had not let God do that for me. So it took some work, it took some moments, it took some tears to feel as if I too was embraced by God and invited to the table. 
And because of that, was able to then embrace my son. And, and, and to say, you belong fully to eat at the king's table forever. And what comes out of that is not, not me as a hero, but what comes out of that is an expansion of the family. Because years later, our son, who then grew, continued to grow and grow, was the one who more than anybody else puts the joy into welcoming our other kids. Take a look at this. He, he has grown to be the one who then extends the welcome to the table to his siblings. It's, it's not perfect. My goodness. But the Lord's work gets multiplied in the family of God. Amen. And, and in the end of that Mephibosheth text, you know what I love? It names that he too has offspring. And the offspring also always ate at the king's table. Because what God is doing in Jesus and in you and I is this expansive work that does not stop with us. So that we can move ever more withward together. So that what God has done in here, in Christ, can be for the whole world. We're not the sole controllers of that. But my goodness, we get to participate in that. And that is the invitation today, to move withward together like that. And so while not perfect, I do wonder what it looks like for each of us to move withward. Where is God inviting us into that type of community this week? If there's some work that needs to be done, recognizing your own invitation and embrace into the family of God, let's start there. For some of us who have stepped into that, Recognizing where do we bring others in on the journey? Where can I step in with other people? One of the great ways to do that, Brian mentioned, two weeks from now, we have this house church gathering after this gathering. Maybe for some of you, that's like, yep, that's right what we needed. We've been looking for that kind of community. And for some of us, we're like, I'm not going. Can I go online? Which we'll figure out how to do that. But show up. Maybe it's the courage to say, yeah, I want to be in that kind of community. I want fridge rights at somebody else's house. Thanks, guys. But, but yeah, to step into that. What does that look like for you? Maybe, maybe it's something that's a little more active. Maybe it's taking a meal to someone. Maybe it's calling to pray with somebody this week. Maybe, maybe you've been in the, in the discerning journey about foster care or adoption, and you're saying, is this the time that we can open our actual home and table? to somebody else. There's a lot of complicated reasons why that never works. But there's also the reasons that it does. And so maybe that's what your discernment journey is this week, to take a step withward into openness and expanding the table. To live in a greater sense of community and family. So, so may the Spirit do that inward work in us so that we can participate in what God is doing with word in and through the world as those who have been invited to sit at the king's table, who have an inheritance that is more abundant and beautiful than anything we could ask or imagine is yours. And all are welcome. 
sit and eat at the king's table as beloved sons and daughters. And so we do that very thing. We say, the Lord be with you. Lift up your hearts. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. Jesus gathered his disciples for a meal where they are actually eating with the king. And at that, at that meal, he takes bread and he, he breaks it. And he says, this is my body given for you, that, that you would do this in remembrance of me. That in doing so, you are remembering the body of Christ to one another. And after the meal, Jesus takes the cup. He says, this is the new covenant in my blood shed for you for the forgiveness of sins. Do this as often as you drink of it in remembrance of me. And so we pray, Lord, that you would send your spirit upon this table. That you would do in this meal for us what we cannot do for ourselves. That like Mephibosheth, you would bring us to this place and claim inheritance and identity on us and on our behalf. Would you make us one through this meal? We ask that you would give us more than we could ask or imagine, even through these simple things. May they be unto us the body and blood of Jesus Christ. And so, friends, we get a chance to continue the prayer, to sing and to reflect. We have a chance to to pray and put uh, prayers in the walls, to pray with somebody back here, even if that's responding to the invitation of God and to daughtership or sonship. And we also have a chance to eat together. At the tables around here, we have gluten-free bread and cup. Would you come For all things are now ready for you. The inheritance is yours. And therefore, would you receive who you are, the body of Christ, as we rehearse the narrative again together out loud, saying that Christ has died, Christ is risen, and Christ will come again. Amen.